Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Welcome to the show. We're going to try to spend the night depathologizing and normalizing. That's what we try to do every night. Uh, DMs always open. If you've got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Wanted to open the show talking about aging and ageism essentially ways to kind of combat some of those stereotypes, but let's start first with ourselves. Gosh, as I get older, I start to really see ageism, but some of the most insidious forms of it are ones that I kind of weaponize and use against myself, right? It's not just, it's not just that we utilize it against others and, and, and keep these things in place that harm others. We also sometimes do it against ourselves. So we want to start by kind of listening to ourselves. What is it we, we say around our age and aging? Because I think some of the limits are ones that we impose. And I start to hear that little voice in my own head saying, ah, you're too old for that. Or at your age, you should dot, dot, dot. None of those things are real. You know, um, we have stages of development and that's supposed to be a loose framework that helps us understand what to expect or what traditionally happens, but that doesn't mean it's the correct, healthy or right way. It's okay to age at your pace. Uh, before I get into the specifics of ageism, right, that we put on others or ourselves, let me start by just talking about the fact that not, not everyone is given the same opportunities, right? And not everyone's able to go through developmental stages at the same rate or accomplish them like others are. Think about it, if someone is raised, um, <clears throat> If someone is gay or trans or non-binary, anything outside of the hetero sphere, they are going to have somewhat of delayed social, relational. You know, the ability to accomplish developmental stages is something that culture allows, right? If the world is centered around, again, my example is heterocentricity, and this is someone who's gay, trans, non-binary, something outside of that, you're not going to get the mirroring that you need. And part of healthy identity development and healthy self-esteem is having your worth mirrored back. Again, our self-esteem is relational esteem. It's reflected back to us by those around us. We, we are not born with an opinion on ourselves. It is given to us. And if you are treated poorly, you internalize that I am not worth better treatment. I am not of worth and value. We, it's very hard on your own to overcome that. That's why we do a lot of therapy. That's why we talk about community building. That's why we talk about surrounding yourself with people, places, and things that reflect back your worth and value. Um, even looking at research around growing up as a person of color in our, in our white-centric culture, white supremacist culture, it's important for those family members that are of color to surround their children and themselves with pro 
you know, pro-racial um, support or, or identification? What does that look like? Well, if if you're ra- you know if you're raising a black child, uh, have your home and, and conversations talk about you know black excellence. Who are you know people in the world that are black or of color that have done really profound things and and black culture and really n- normalizing and celebrating who they are? Now, if you're a gay or trans child, it's even harder to find that because you aren't with family members that most likely identify that way or even know that you identify that way. And that's why we're constantly saying whether you think your kids are gay or not, we need to have gay mentors, uh, gay demonstrations of the positivity of gay and trans identity because you don't know who your child's going to become. But even if your child doesn't become or not, not become, but even if your child isn't gay or trans, they still will encounter gay and trans people out in the world, right? So it it helps everyone. But social development, we have to have access to individuals and scenarios to have those experiences. So for someone who's gay, if they're not given support or access to other gay people to date, like straight people are through you know, adolescence and high school, well, then there's a delay in stepping into that process, learning those skills, getting confident, right? Think about that. So those developmental stages might be delayed. So everyone's going to go through different stages at different times. And then I globalize it even bigger than that in that our lives are really, you know, broken down into multiple phases, but we can look at least two of them where there's the first phase of life, which is about identifying who we are, what our identity is, how we want to live in the world. And it's very much ego and the world. But the second phase of life that not everyone ever gets to, but you hope to, is where you start to transcend all of that. None of that actually matters anymore. And now it's you up against yourself and you're trying to figure out who do I want to be in the world? What do I want my legacy? to be? What do I want my time here on this planet to be about? What are my ethics? What are my values? Am I living a life of purpose and meaning? That's that's the second phase of life. That can happen at any age. Some people never step into that. Some people spend their entire lives in the first stage, which is just me against the world in that they're, they're figuring out about money and career and all those pieces. And none of those things are real. They're important, but those aren't real. You know, and we want to move into the second phase where it's a, it's purpose and meaning. Some of this also is about basic needs, and I appreciate that, but you can still step into the second phase while that's happening. But the first phase is about money and success and status and all these things that our ego requires before we then starting to kind of shrink our ego. You know, Eastern philosophy is always about getting rid of the ego, but you have to have ego first to then be able to get rid of it. That's the healthy process. So the first phase is establishing a healthy sense of self-worth and um, value, right? And ageism interrupts all of that because age is something all of us will participate in. And it's an oppression that exists at both ends, being shamed for being young and not taken seriously. And then the opposite, when you get older, not being taken seriously. We're gonna take a little break and we'll come back. We'll keep talking about age and development. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we're back and we're talking about age and ageism and development and how depending on your social location and identity in the world, you might not be given the opportunity to go through the same developmental stages that other people are because you're gay and you're in the straight world and you don't have access to other gay people or people talking about gay sex and gay dating and all of that. So you are held back from participating in that. You might not step into that until later in life, right? And that can apply to our race, our class, all different factors. But ageism is a really powerful thing that we experience at the beginning of our life and then at the end. You're kind of pretty good to go in the middle. You know, we shame children for being, we don't take them seriously. We don't think they have needs. We don't think they have rights. We'll do things to them we would never do to another adult. We'll agree. You can't when you're upset with an adult, smack them or spank them. But we have no problem doing that to a child. Why? Well, because they're powerless. That's why. Not because it's actually ever okay. That's still abuse. Hitting someone is abuse, period, end of story. It's never acceptable. And leading by fear and confrontation is actually not anything that motivates, right? So ageism research shows that when people, you know, what happens is, and I was saying this at the beginning of the show that I realized my own ageism that I apply against myself. So before we even look at the world and how we might do it to others, we do it to ourselves. What, what, what is our own inner dialogue about ourselves and age? And research shows that when people internalize these negative stereotypes about aging, which we all do because the world's giving and feeding it to us, right? That they expect that of themselves, right? These negative stereotypes will embody them. We will limit ourselves and drop the bar down based on what we've been told. And we have a decline narrative around age, but that's not honest or fair because there's a lot of things that only grow and develop further with aging. Aging is not just decline. It might be biologically, but psychologically, it should be the quite, it should be the opposite. We step into our true sexuality. We hopefully have confidence in who we are, and what we want. We start to live a life of purpose and meaning. Confidence should build. 
We might be at our physical prime when we're younger, but we are not at our emotional, psychological, and hopefully not even our social prime until later. We absolutely are not in our sexual prime until later. Biologically, you might be at your sexual prime in terms of biology when you're younger, but what matters more is as we age and we get more confident and more honest and more exploratory, we should step into that part of ourselves. But these stereotypes that exist and I see them every five seconds out in the world, they portray aging in older adults as an inherently always bad, unhealthy thing that you don't want. And that can reduce motivation to step into the beautiful strengths of aging or to take care of yourself as you age. And we have to replace those negative stereotypes with some positive ones because both exist. Other cultures handle it far better. They see aging coming with wisdom and respect. Here, we don't. We see it as complicated, problematic, annoying, and a burden. And we have to shift that because, again, people internalize that. And they see themselves as aging as becoming a burden when that's not really the case. Some people's perspectives might be that way. So the first thing we want to dismantle is these expectations that we can sometimes turn into self-fulfilling prophecies, dropping the bar, really limiting what's possible. The more stereotypes we encounter, we will inherently believe that, right? So we want to make sure we're building a world around us that challenges that. We can't just, for instance, go to therapy once a week and think that that's going to be enough or an antidote against the rest of the world and the time that we spend with the rest of the world that's always telling us, avoid aging at all costs. That's why I don't like words like anti-aging. You can't be anti-aging. It's something that's going to happen to all of us. It's not something we can stop and we need to stop being afraid of it. Let's just use words like skincare just maintaining healthy skin and feeling good, right? But it shouldn't be about fighting aging because that implies it's bad and we can't completely fight it. And I watch so many people, their self-esteem, their self-worth tank and what they think is possible and fearing it because of these decline narratives and the idea that it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, right? Uh, I'm trying to look at, so talk about stereotypes. Um, a study showed that these important changes, right, around perspective, around healthy lifestyle, whatever it is, that they're beneficial at every age, but we still have this idea that at a certain age, those things don't matter. And I hear that even with love and dating. I wanna find someone now, before it's too late, before I get older, why? At any point of your life, you'll be happy that you found love and companionship if that's part of your journey. And it's meaningful at any point, right? But those that have a more optimistic perspective and view of aging are gonna, most likely adopt healthier behaviors and proactively address stuff, right? So we have to have that optimism so that we think we're of worth and we're of value and we take care of ourselves. We have a lot of exposure to these really problematic, toxic, and negative stereotypes. And that can actually be something that we internalize and impact our physiology. We know from research with homophobia and racism that exposure to discrimination, prejudice, stereotype, excuse me, that that can become a, you know, a chronic stressor and keep us in a chronic st uh, stress state. That will erode at every system in the body. That damages our health, many processes. Um, a recent longitudinal study, I'm reading this now, found that among a group of people with a genetic risk for dementia, for instance, those who held more positive beliefs about aging, right, rather than taking the negative stereotypes, were 50% less likely to go on to develop it. Now we don't understand the causation correlation, but the point is, is that the more we internalize and believe these things, the more we bring them to fruition and they become our reality. So we have to work on countering those stereotypes, but start first by challenging yourself. What messages are you giving yourself around aging? 
And then what messages are you giving to others? What impact are you having on others around this topic, right? So really, really lean into that because that both of those pieces matter. We got to take a little break. We'll be back and uh, in a little bit, we'll also be sliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Any questions you got, someone else might be wondering the same thing. So uh, ask away and any topics you want covered or something you want us to uh, circle back or drop deeper into, we're always happy to hear from you. And uh, past episodes of Loveline, always over at wearechannelq.com. Just scroll down, look for the show, click on, and there they are. You can binge, post, reshare. Sometimes you need to hear things repetitively. I try to circle back through key points just to like really drive that stuff home. Uh, But it takes time. You know, these are all skill building things. So, okay, we're taking a break. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. All right, we're back and uh, not going to spend much time on this, but I was looking at a funny article about the worst ways that people start conversations. I thought these were funny, especially because there's a lot to learn in these. Um, they're the worst conversational openers. And, uh, you know, I think as we talk about good communication skills, we're always saying that you need to use a soft startup. It's always the first one. Starting at a zero gives us a better chance to not get it get to a 10. If you come in hot, well, the, you know, it's already, the heat's already there. It's only going to get worse. So we come in soft. That's an act of care and respect for you and the other person. And also the framework is we're always trying to do, say things and deliver them in what we call the relational way, which means I honor that we have a relationship and I honor that I want to maintain that. And I honor that I have, you know, uh, responsibility to be, in, to be caring towards you. Like that's part of that relationship, the commitment that we make to another person when we get close is that like, I'll care for you. I'm not going to harm you. Right. And So these conversational starters totally abandon that and betray that. Like if I'm in a relationship with someone that I feel close and I care about, friend, family member, someone I'm dating, I I have to expect that they're going to care for me and they're not going to come at me aggressive or trying to ruin our relationship or come at me harsh. So all these are kind of rooted in that. So what do these sound like? Well, this one, here's my favorite one. No offense or anything. Well, that statement implies that you're aware that what you're about to say might be offensive. And so the question really remains, why do you feel the need to say it? Why are you okay hurting someone that you care about? And if it's because it's a difficult truth, well, that wouldn't be the way to say it. The way to say it might be, it's really hard to say this and it might be hard to hear, but for the sake of our relationship, it's really important for me to express something. And then you say it, but to just say no offense or anything, basically it sounds like you're giving yourself permission to be offensive. And the best thing is to keep it to yourself. I say that to people on social media. Sometimes if you have something, if you don't have something nice to say, you don't need to say anything on my Instagram posts. Like you can keep scrolling. No one, no one's interested in your negativity. Seriously. If you have something constructive, cool. If you want to discuss something cool, if you want to be supportive, great. But if you just want to drop by and drop some harshness, you get blocked. Like that's what I do now. I don't even respond. I block my, for me personally, as a human in the world, and especially on social media, I'm not available to be attacked. That's not why I'm here. That's not why I have a social media page. And so really know that don't, don't come in hot like that. That's not a sign of mental health. When people are like, Oh, I tell it like it is. Oh, so you're unsafe and narcissistic because healthy people don't tell it like it is healthy people say, Hey, how might what I'm about to say impact this person? What's going on in their life is now a good time. Is there a better way to say that? Is this even something that needs to be said? They go through a little bit of a thoughtful process. So people that have no filter say, tell it like it is. They're actually dangerous people and they're normalizing abuse by framing it as, well, I tell it like it is. So you're abusive and have no empathy. Like, yikes. Don't, don't get confident in that. That's a really horrible flex. Like, don't lead with that. We don't want people like that around us. They aren't safe. But bigger than that, they're not kind. 
Kindness is, is important. Uh, what else might they say? Um, I should warn you, you're not going to like what I have to say. Kind of gets the same answer of what I said earlier. Well, then don't say it. Or you calm down and then come talk to me. Because it sounds, someone who says that is obviously not very regulated. And they might need to let whatever's going on digest a little bit. Sit with it. Process it. Go talk to someone first. Because a lot of these entry points are really saying a lot about the speaker and how they're not doing their work. They're not very regulated. Here's another great one. Like I kind of talked about already. Hey, I'm just being honest, which again is a way to try to excuse that you just hurt someone. Healthy people aren't okay with hurting people and they try to make sure they don't. And if they do, they clean it up. They don't defend it with, sorry, I'm just being honest. Well, then my response would be, well, then sorry, you're not safe to keep in my life as a friend because you're not healthy and you have no care and compassion. So let's not talk anymore. You know what I mean? Like you learn a lot about someone based on how they approach things. Also statements like this one's another zinger. I'm the only one brave enough to tell you what everyone's saying behind your back. So you're, you're wanting me to feel good, safe, and you have something important to share? That's not what I just heard. What I just heard is you're hurting me further by letting me know people are talking meanly about my back. Now you're telling me you agree with them, and you're coming at me harsh about it. There's so many things wrong with that. It is no one's business that people are talking poorly behind their back. And if you think it is, should kindly discuss that with them. Hey, can we talk about what a lot of people are experiencing with you? Is now a good time to talk? Listen. Whenever you're going to approach a human being to have a conversation, you do need to take into account what's going on in their day and their life. If a client says to me, I need to go make this difficult disclosure to someone, that's my first question. What's going on in their life right now? Oh, they just lost their job? Oh, they just lost a loved one? Probably not the best time to swoop in with that. Practice patience and boundaries and we'll come back to it unless it's dire that they're told, right? Or what's going on in their day? Is it in the middle of their workday? Yeah, don't interrupt them to share this with them. And then the final thing is tell it, share it lovingly and kindly. And if you're not in a place to be able to do that, take a break and go work on settling down, digesting it a little bit, practicing it. But if we're entering a conversation to heart hurt someone, then we have a bigger problem. Why do you want to hurt people? And if that isn't your intent, then stop hurting people and soften and be kinder. Kindness is mental health. Harshness is not. Saying things and running your relationships where people are wounded is not mental health and it's not kind. We can do better than that. We really can. Practice that. Try that. These are important pieces. Um, all right, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to slide into those DMs. So uh, stick around for that. And if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveland Energy page, questions, topics. We'd love to hear about all of it. But um, stick around. We'll be back. More to come. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all. We are back. Now it's time to glide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I currently work in the sex industry. I'm a dancer, model, and I have an OnlyFans. I'm really successful at what I do. However, I sometimes feel like I'm unable to meet anyone that sees me for me. I feel like I'm just an object to everyone, and I can flirt, go on dates, but it always comes down to me being something they want to accomplish. I tell their friends that I hooked up with this person. It happened again last week. I'm just feeling very lonely and insecure. I love my body, and I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing, but how do I get someone to see me for me? How can I protect myself from these people who want to use me? So this kind of message is heartbreaking because, you know, I, I want to remind you um, that you're a human being. And maybe I'm saying that to those that are dehumanizing you. 
everyone's everyone has worth and value and someone's worth and value is based on their character and 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 how they treat others and how they move through the world but to treat someone differently because of the kind of the kind of work they do or you know the kind of work that harms no one and in fact is a really really important counterbalance to our sex phobic sex negative culture it really says a lot about you so first off we have to acknowledge that the author of this question is dealing with horophobia, sex negativity, slut shaming, uh, sexism, right? Because that's what you're up against. And that I can't dismantle immediately. And so unfortunately, that's going to be something that you'll struggle with for the duration of your life. I don't believe in my lifetime, sadly, that we will work through all of that. There's a lot of work, right? So the question's also, how do I, realizing we live in a really, we live in a culture that has a lot of problematic ideas around sex workers and sex, how do I survive or feel good in that? Well, it's a struggle. It's like, how do gay people feel good in a homophobic culture? How do larger fat bodies feel good in a, you know, thin centric fat phobic culture? It's hard. It's hard. But do know that there are people out there that have respect for women, period. And if you only have respect for certain women, then you're sexist. If you only have respect for women that do certain kinds of things that you're comfortable with, you're, you're sexist. You have toxic masculinity, you have sexism, you have slut phobia. There's a lot in there. But there are some really amazing people that will see you as the person that you are. And I applaud you because to work in the sex industry in our culture is an act of courage and it's an act of authenticity and it's an act of empowerment. And I want you to lean into that. So thank you for the work you do. You're an important needed counterbalance to all of our cultural baggage. But of course you're a human and you want relationship and you want desire and you want to feel like a full total person. So I'm sorry that people don't treat you like that. Shame on those that don't know how to see you as the person you are. Um, a couple things I would say. I would say you don't need to anxiously disclose the work you do right off the bat to make someone feel okay or to feel accepted. Sometimes we should work on leading with just us as ourselves, but I appreciate that at some point work does come up and that might be where people really lean into an issue. Best you can do is look for those red flags and take care of yourself. And if someone's showing a sign of discomfort or an inability to humanize you as the person you are, you have to exit that relationship immediately. What do we do to survive in a world that has systems in place that harm us directly. We have to build community that reflects back that we have worth and value, and we have to stay within that. Gay people need gay friends to remind them, you're awesome, we're here. Fat people have to do that. People of color, sex workers. So make sure you have a strong community base, right? And dating's hard in general, so I appreciate that this makes it even harder. And so I don't really have a solid answer because the issues you're up against are cultural and systemic and they're gonna maintain themselves for a while as people like me and others work to dismantle them. So the best you can do is take care of yourself and, and stay soft, right? Not let this harden you and realize that there are people that will accept you as a total full person. There's no answer. All I can really do is empathize and try to make it a call to action for people to be better and to keep doing the work to dismantle those things that are oppressing and harming you. And that's kind of all we have. It bummed me out that we still... You know, we're all up against these different pieces. You know, I think uh, if we reflect on our time in COVID, we, we saw a lot of people doing the best they can and, and making do with what they had and trying to get their needs met in, um, excuse me, I'm moving the mic around, in whatever ways um, work for them and their families. So more care and compassion. I think that, I think that's the answer I could give to everything. More care and compassion. We need tons more of that. Letting people live, letting people struggle, letting people try to do their best. Um, 
not judging individuals. I think when we contextualize and understand what's going on in place and time and in individuals people and in and, and in individual people's lives, we have a better understanding as to why the choices they make are the choices they make. Um, all right, we gotta take a break. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We'll be back. All right, we're back and uh, talking about why the honeymoon ends. Oh, baby, I put a whole lot of IG posts out there about this one. And that's what I think is fascinating is here's the kicker. It doesn't have to end. It ends because we let the ball drop. I can wrap up all these different articles talking about it into that statement. Why? Because they have fewer and fewer positive experiences of each other in their relationship over time. They stop prioritizing it. They stop putting energy into it and they stop giving it its best shot. We can't give all of our care, attention, and energy to our job all day long and then come home and give our partner or our family the sloppy second leftovers and think that that's going to give us a healthy relationship or be enough. Unfortunately, what is required for ongoing long-term happy relationships doesn't is not always compatible with what capitalism and our jobs demand. Sometimes I have to say to clients, you cannot have both. Don't get mad at me, I'm just the messenger. Hate the game, not the player. You know what I mean? Hate the game, not the coach or the referee. And I'm the ref and the coach and I'm saying, you can't you know, commute an hour to your job, be there for eight or nine hours, commute an hour back, give your wife and kids or husband or boyfriend, whoever, a few sloppy leftover burnout minutes of your time before you crash and think that that equals a happy family or relationship. It doesn't work that way. What means more to you? If your job means more to you, understandably your family or your partner or whoever's gonna realize that and they're gonna bounce and things are gonna drift. That's just, that's just how it goes. So we can't let our time with our loved ones be time that's when we're burnout, when we're tired, when we're dull. So again, many couples, the ones that lose this honeymoon period and they fall out of love, they have fewer positive experiences over time. And also those positive experiences, the reasons for that, for fewer positive experiences are increasing responsibilities away from the relationship and fun activities and time with them no longer feels good to anyone. So they don't feel compelled to connect or stay connected. So it's not just hear this. It's not just, you need to get better communication. I hate when I hear people say that any therapist saying that the problem in couples is poor communication does not understand relational dynamics because learning how to argue or fight better isn't what we're talking about. In fact, Robust research, and this is coming out of a lot of uh, Gottman's research, who's a, a relational therapist, but more importantly does research on you know happy long-term couples, they don't fight any better, actually. They don't engage in better conflict resolution skills often. What the difference is, is that they actually like and care about each other. They have tons of positive experiences. That's the distinction. It's not how you fight, although that does matter, and I do coach people around that. The deeper core issue is, do y'all like each other? Do you prioritize each other? Are you actually friends? Do you treat each other like friends, right? It's the quality of the relationship that matters, not their fighting style. Because some of the couples that have long-term happy relationships, they still fight and still don't have awesome conflict resolution, but they have positive experiences. They keep close. They keep prioritizing each other. It feels good to be around each other. They want to be around each other. That's important. And new research constantly is supporting that, right? Let's, let's point this out right here. Uh, in, in yet another study, this one's 2021, the researchers make a very important and clear point. Traditionally, couples therapy has focused on reducing negative experiences such as conflict. We know that that's not the most vitally important part. 
However, this research, along with a lot of other research, shows us that it's the loss of positives and positive experiences that should be more taken into account as an important factor for relationship quality and success. So yes, your conflict resolution skills matter. <laughs> more important though, is do you all enjoy each other? Do you have positive experiences? Do you make time for each other? Do you make clean, good, energetic time for each other? Not sloppy seconds left over at the end of the night when we're burnt out or on the weekend after we've done everything else. That which we don't treat like a priority won't feel like one and understandably will drift or move on. So what are the main reasons for the loss of positive experiences in committed couples? Well, there's a couple ones that kept coming up. Now, this is where it gets a little intellectualized, so we'll try to break it down a little bit of a simpler understanding. First thing as to why there's loss of positive experiences is what they called adaptive loss. Honeymoon phase at the beginning, that's easy, right? It's intense, feels good, right? Couples spend a lot of time together. That gets in the way of maybe their time with their friends and their family members. We know that in the beginning, couples really want to spend a lot of time together. Sacrificing some time together in order to take care of other social work responsibilities can be an adaptive behavior. And they're saying that that's necessary. You still need to put time and energy into other supportive factors and things in your life. Still see your friends, still participate in your hobbies, still go to your 12-step meetings, still fellowship, still go to yoga, still work on your art practice. You know what I mean? Um, I still, throughout the duration of my committed relationship, spend hours alone at coffee shops, doing my reading, writing and research with my headset on, listening to my music. I still go to the gym multiple times a week because that's my time. For me, that's meditative. I'm not there trying to be a male model. I don't care. I'm not a model. I don't need to look any way, but I go because it's healthy and it feels good to me. It's healthy for me. I, you know, for me, not for everyone, for me. And it feels good. What are some of the other things as to why committed couples lose that positive experience. Actually, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about it. Um, come back, talk about that. And of course, later in the show, we'll be sliding into those DMs because that's how we do it. We'll be closing out with that. So if you got a DM, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Uh, questions, topics, and past episodes of Loveline. As always, over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, the name of the show, click on it. There they are. You can binge, post, share, re-listen, take it on a hike with you, whatever you got to do. Stick around, though. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right. We are back and uh, talking about reasons why the honeymoon ends. And we were saying a lot of the reasons why relationships fall apart and don't have long-term sustainability or happiness. Because remember, just because someone's in a long-term relationship doesn't mean it's healthy, doesn't mean it's happy, doesn't mean they should be in it. We don't stick around just to stick around. That's not where mental health or, you know, you know, whatever comes in, uh, valor, it, it should be, I'm in it because it's healthy. And that's why I appreciate some relationships where they don't get married. And they're like, hey, we're going to stay together as long as it's mutually beneficial. And if it's not, we're going to go and it'll be easy to go, which means you have to be a good partner to keep me to stay. That's how it should be. We should go when the love is gone. Now, why does the love go? Well, we know from studies, it's not because of poor communication, although we love to say things like that. People come in all the time. We need to work on communicating better. Well, yeah, maybe, but we need to go deeper. How do you guys treat each other? What's the quality of the actual relationship? Are you friends? Do you enjoy each other? Or are you harsh and unkind? Do you not think in terms of what's good for both of us? Right? Like that's the meat. That's where trust is built. That's what builds trust. That. Not how, not how we deal with conflict necessarily. So we're talking about some of the reasons why committed couples experience less positive experiences of each other in the relationship because that's what we want to go for. Every time we're interacting or spending time together, if it feels good, that's what builds in reward. And reward, anything that's rewarding is going to inherently create motivation for us to come back to it. Motivation is powerfully dependent upon positive outcomes and reward. 
we also seek what's easiest, quickest, and most accessible will never let us down, which is what leads to people, you know, having problematic relationships with drugs and alcohol. So uh, we talked about adaptive loss that's a little clunky, but also external demands. And this is one of the number one things I see in my office as to why some relationships fall apart. There's increasing external demands, demands that are made on them both outside of their relationship that they put before their relationship or to the detriment of their relationship. Well, then it is no shocker <laughs> that that leads to drifting, not caring about each other, not caring about the relationship and being willing to do detrimental things to it, like cheating on it or shutting it out, right? So their definition in this study is couples face those external demands such as taking care of children, going back to school, starting a new career. These take time away from the couple's time together and it results in less opportunities for positive romantic experiences. Again, that's why I tell people every single day, build in romance or eroticism to your relationship. Flirt, text, leave a note, have sex, give a gift, make a positive statement of care or flirtation, something. It doesn't operate on autopilot. Hear me say that again. Relationships don't run on autopilot. They are like plants. You don't get it and stick it somewhere and say, we're done. It's a process. It's a verb. You have to care for the plant. You have to check the levels of sunlight. Does it need more water, less water? Do I have to repot it? Do I need to prune it? Do I need to change the dirt? Add some vitamins. Relationships are the same thing. They're actions. They're verbs. You're relationshiping or you're not. But you can't be like, I'm going to go back to school and also start a new job or focus on the kids. And I just trust that you're going to get your needs met. No healthy adult does that. Relationships are about reciprocity and interaction. It is healthy for us to be codependent upon our primary partner. In fact, that's a good sign of true, healthy relational attachment, that we depend on them. We seek them in, in times of stress. We know that they're a safe place for us to go when times are tough. And they also are what we call a secure base that encourages to go, us to go out into the world, but they're still there for us when we come back. So we can't let external demands get in the way of our relationship. Otherwise, we can't act surprised or shocked when we lose the relationship. We have to put the relationship first. That should always be the most important things in our lives, all the people in our lives. So that's one of the number one things. Ask yourself, how many external demands do I have on myself? And if you're single, check that. You might have too many to be able to be available to be a good partner, and that's okay. Tell them, tell people that. That's the most healthy thing. Yo, I, my life is very full right now. I can only date casually. Give them a heads up or don't date at all. Just participate in hookup culture. Get a little romance, a little sex, you're good. But in order to really be a good partner, we have to have the time, space, and energy. I remember uh, the admissions director said that to all of us in our doctoral program before we entered. Do you have the support of your loved ones to prioritize this? And do you have the time to prioritize this? We should ask that when dating. Do you have the time to prioritize me? Do you have the space to bring me into your life and to do everything that building and maintaining a healthy relationship involves? Because if you're super busy, probably not. And let your priorities be your priorities, but just make them known. Tell your partner. Let them be given that opportunity to decide if they want to be a part of this or not. Those external demands can be gnarly. It's called triangulation. It's called intimacy buffers. All these different things that we bring into our lives that maybe prevent or block us from having quality time with our partners. It's not just about proximity. Oh, well, we're home together every night. That doesn't matter. Our bodies bumping into each other and near each other. That's not meaningful. Are you present? Are you having shared experiences? Are you engaging? And what's the quality of all that? Anything. Think of school and homework. You put in low quality work, you're not going to learn anything. You're not going to feel close and connected to school or the topics you're learning. 
I mean, it's a really basic equation like that. Uh, we're gonna take a break and come back and talk about the uh, final two reasons as to why there's a loss of positive experiences in committed couples, which is one of the most foundational pieces for having a long-term happy relationship, literally with anyone. You know, these are applicable skills to apply to everything in our life. You know, what we prioritize feels prioritized and gets the most of our energy. And whatever's second to that is going to get leftovers. But it, getting leftovers doesn't always feel great, right? Um, all right, so stick around. Um, actually, no, we, let me, I'm, I'm reading the clock wrong. We actually have a little bit more time. So let me just get into this next one. Stress. Stress is such a loaded word. <laughs> Whenever I bring up that word, everyone rolls their eyes. They're like, but who right now? is not buckling and struggling under a lot of different stressors. I feel like right now is one of the most powerful moments in my time that I can think about when there were so many intersecting levels of stressors coming in anywhere you look, right? And it just doesn't stop. So couples that experience a lot of stress individually, together, financial issues, whatever it is, again, it's gonna lead to a lot of reduction in positive relational experiences. Again, we're drawn towards that which feels good to be with, that which gives us memories that are positive, right? But if we think of someone in our life and it generates negative feelings because our experiences together aren't great, well, we're not gonna feel drawn to prioritize them or connect with them, right? Those associations matter. Whenever we think of someone, those associations pull us towards where they push us away. It's true for everything. All right, take a little break. We come back, we'll keep breaking this down. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris and Channel Q in Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We will be right back. Alrighty, we're back. Talking about what it is that kills relationships. More importantly, though, we're talking about what kills the honeymoon phase. What makes it end? And we're just talking about one of the number one causes is that committed couples, when they start to have fewer positive experiences of each other in their relationship over time, that's, which, that, that's what causes that drift. And the reasons that these couples have these fewer lessening positive experiences are increasing responsibilities. Coupled with things that previously were fun start to become boring, flat, and dull. Because remember, we're drawn towards and keep close to those things that have positive associations. We associate them with feeling good, smiling, having fun. If you've allowed your relationship to become something full of conflict and negativity, well, understandably, you don't want to participate in it prioritize it, you know? So it's self and other. How are we, what are we creating? But also how are we showing up, right? So couples should focus not only on managing communication and conflict, but also on increasing shared positive experiences. So the loss of those experiences, the main reasons we talked about, we talked about external demands, you know, things building up on the outside, right? the loss of adaptive things. Basically, that means the loss of self-care, which is what allows us to show up in a really positive or robust way because how we show up matters, right? Stress, self, or in the relationship, whatever it is, it's not gonna make our experiences feel great when we're moving forward, carrying all of that stress in our bodies, right? We're tired. And then finally, drum roll, we have, dun, 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 not surprisingly enough, boredom. Experiences that are positive and rewarding at the beginning, time together, traveling, whatever it is, can start to feel boring after time if things become too predictable and not exciting, which is why I say over and over, don't start making every night a blockbuster night. Delay that as much as possible in early dating. Keep dating. Keep meeting them out, leaving them out. Keep going out, having new novel experiences with them. But relationships are actions and verbs, and that means 
later down the road, you have to continue to have novel new experiences with them. You don't want to associate your time with them as being boring. And you will if all your time together is spent sitting in the same home you've been in all day on the same couch in your jammies with your hair thrown back in a pony. And it's not about glamming it up. It's about being yourself and going out in the world. Like get change your darn clothes. I'm talking to everyone. Put on something that makes you feel good or more comfortable, whatever it is, something different from what you're lounging around in and go experience and see some new things. Go try a new cuisine of food. Go print out a recipe and with your partner, go get the ingredients and come home and cook it. Go for a walk in a different neighborhood. Go to a different movie theater and maybe you'll stumble upon a new ice cream parlor and go in there and get some amazing non-dairy ice cream. Track down some vegan restaurants and start bringing more plant-based stuff into your world. Take little trips. You know, And again, we're in COVID, get in the car with your loved one, put your masks on, drive to a city or town that's nearby. You don't have to be around people. Check out window shop. Like, here's the thing. These things are all free. Go window shop, go wander around, go explore. Galleries, museums are free. There's free movies or reduced movies, but go have new novel experiences. So you associate excitement and fun with each other. That's how you don't lose those things. So therapy has to should not only target and what your work is as a couple should not only be about reducing negative hostile experiences, although that is important, right? It's also important to change your behavior in the first place totally. You have to start to positive, uh, experience positive things together. You have, to, you have to encourage each other to make time for enjoyable, fun things. You have to create space for, for time when you have energy, right? Like make sure it's during times where you have energy, not at the end of an exhausting day or at the end of an exhausting week always, right? So there's two major patterns for the loss of positive experiences. This is just to kind of like drive it home at the end. Having too many external demands that limit your time together and feeling good about your time together and having too much routine, too many patterns and habits that bores us, right? So that formerly fun, dynamic positive experiences now just feel stale. That is not gonna make you wanna spend time together. So if you wanna save your crumbling relationship or make sure it never falls into that, it's all about that time together and what you do when you're with each other. What a beautiful solution, you know? But you have to care enough about them to want to do that. And that's where, again, you're working on maintaining that deep friendship. Because not everyone is with a partner relationship that they care enough about. And that's okay, if you feel that way, release it. You know, don't hold on to dear life just to hold on as scary as that can be. It's not gonna be good for you or the other person. That's sometimes the most kindest thing we can do is be honest with you know where we are with our partner or the relationship. Not everything's meant to be forever. Um, but I like that these solutions are simple, so just focus on that. You know what I mean? These are things we can make little changes around. But again, that which we make a priority will always feel like one and will always be at its most resilient. You know, And things that get our leftovers, understandably, that's how they're gonna feel. And that will kind of entitle other people to treat it like a leftover as well or something that's not as important. So really zero in on that. You can make a lot of changes by just making those small tweaks. There's so many little ways that we can make our partner know that they're important to us throughout the day. And technology has made it even easier to share photos, songs, pictures, memories, videos. You know, it matters. Cute little emojis. There's so many different ways to kind of communicate care to our partner. Care and love. Care, love, and prioritization. It's the trifecta. All right, y'all. We'll be back. Coming up next, we're going to slide into those DMs. So uh, goddamn for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline and G page. We'll be back. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. See you in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. DMs come from our Loveline IG page. Sliding into the DMs. So if you've got a question for us, always drop in the Loveline IG page there in the DMs. Uh, questions, topics, things you want covered, things you want us to circle back to. I know people will reach out sometimes saying, hey, Dr. Chris, do you have any resources or can you tell me more about this? Uh, put it in the DMs on the Loveline IG page and then uh, I can kind of share it with everyone because I think there's some topics that we don't have time to drop deeper into or, you know, whatever, we just kind of move on and... I want everyone to get their needs met, so put them in there. And uh, as always, wearechannelq.com is where you want to go for past episodes, so head on over there. But today's DM says, Dear Dr. Chris and Loveline, my relationship is almost perfect. In fact, it's often great. It's like you're rubbing it in. That's good, though. Except that uh, my boyfriend smokes weed pretty much daily. Uh, often, I find myself getting annoyed because he is lazy, not very helpful when he is smoking and getting high. We don't really have very attuned present conversations and uh, I'm over here being completely and fully sober myself. Uh, he says he needs it to deal with some depression and anxiety and stressors. Um, but what's the balance? Uh, I feel like when he is not smoking, often he's a little more irritable and uh, happy, but our conversation, oh, happy when high, but not always having the best conversations. Yeah, that's a big one. This one comes up often. Everyone has different coping mechanisms, you know, different forms of self-care, different hobbies, different coping mechanisms. So listen, everything on the surface uh, superficially has the capacity to help us get through tough times, whether we're turning to food, you know, sex, shopping, uh, smoking weed, things like that. And I think the problems really arise not on what we're utilizing, but the impact it has on important elements of our life and also whether or not we have other options. I think it can be problematic when we're relying on the same thing over and over, you know, um, but more importantly, you know, your question has a lot of love and care in it. Like, hey, I miss quality time with my partner, shared experiences, engagement. And I think that's where you need to uh, come from. 
when you talk to your partner about how this impacts you is don't villainize the weed smoking because in theory, there's nothing wrong with that. It's quite safe. There's not overdoses. It doesn't lead to violence or domestic violence like alcohol does. I'm more worried about people that drink than people that smoke weed for sure. You know, alcohol is more toxic to systems in your body. Um, so that makes me more concerned. Um, but again, come from the truth of I miss you. And when you're high, I don't feel like we can have really close, deep, intimate conversations because you kind of can't. When you're on a different conscious level, someone's intoxicated in some form or under the influence of something or whatever it is. And, you know, or even just they drank some caffeine in their higher energy. It's really hard to connect. And that's really what you're talking about. Um, if you have an issue with the fact that they smoke weed, that's your personal issue to work through because as an adult, this person gets to make that choice. But within a relationship, we do get to reflect back to our partner how things they're doing might impact our relationship because our relationship is important. And you have to come from that perspective, very soft and say, hey, smoke weed, but it'd be great if we could carve out time where we're both available to do relational stuff like date night, date days, and that's that's fair. So. Maybe start making some plans. I think if you're just laying around the house, it's very reasonable that this is what this person chooses to participate in. Just like if you were spending hours reading or working on art or cleaning out a closet or whatever you might be doing, you're allowed to spend time invested in that. Um, but if your partner came to you and said, hey, I feel like that blocks time for us to connect, I'd hope you'd say, sure, let me carve out some time so I can do both. And say that to this person, like, hey, this weekend, can we go catch a movie? And it would be really important to me if you would maybe wait and smoke weed afterwards, because I fully support you smoking weed, but I'd love time where we're just both totally present and sober. And I think that that's very reasonable. But you should plan something and let him know that, uh, let him know that it's a relational block. You know, it's like an intimacy buffer and you'd love more presence at certain times. And otherwise he gets to smoke. He doesn't need to always be available and present. You know, relationships are one part of our life. Um, but I think that's very reasonable. And then you have a, a bigger issue if your partner's like, yeah, I don't care. Um, but that might mean that what's going on in his life might be more than he has the internal resources to cope with. So if he's saying, I, I can't do that, my anxiety is too high. Well, the answer is, well, you need to work on that because healthy relationships, everyone's addressing their mental health struggles, right? And so that might be, okay, well then if that's not possible, because your anxiety is so high that you can't get through a day or a block of time without using marijuana to cope, then it's time to get into some therapy because that's going to give you long-term solutions because marijuana is not a long-term solution. For some people, it will be, and that will be a part of some person's ongoing mental health care or even sobriety. Yes, some people use marijuana as part of their sobriety because maybe other drugs or alcohol are what are problematic, and marijuana allows them to be away from that, and that's harm reduction. It's about quality of life and mental health, not just abstinence. Who cares about that? It's about impact on your life. So have that conversation. I think there's something really beautiful in what you're actually requesting within that. All right, Joe, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow. Oof. Have a great rest of your night, y'all. Thanks for hanging out. And y'all enjoy the rest of your night. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.